Uh, what the hell are we doing? Um, I was trying to see if all of you would still be listening. Um, sorry, I'm a little weird. A weird today. Person. Yes, you're 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 kind of off the off the chain. Yeah. All right, I'm I'm unchained, but uh, but our podcast is chained together. And one of the things that has made uh, you know, we've now been on the air, uh, I guess, for a little bit more than a year. But in the past year, we've had a running segment that uh, I think we've both enjoyed a bit called The List. I didn't. No? No, nah, just kidding. Yeah, right, I enjoyed it. <laughs> I sometimes can't tell with you. Um, well, the the interesting thing about this, I don't know if we kind of camped with this idea together or if it was a little bit more your idea. Well, it's certainly something that you had thought about. I we I think we both thought this was a pretty good idea. I mean, there well, are so all, many. Yeah, there are always so, movies to see. Right, that's part of the main thing. That's part of why we do this podcast. I mean, whenever you talk, talk to somebody about, about movies, it's always like, yeah. So I was watching uh, Inland Empire, and you're like, what's that? And like, you haven't seen the, thing? you know, and it's well. Sometimes those people are are kind of dicks. Right. And so this is a way to make your friends. Yeah. See the movies that you've seen so you can finally talk about them in a way that that means something. We each had we each decided let's have a year of film school. Right. And we enter into the film school of also and also makes the other person recommending the movie rewatch it. Okay. Unless if you are so familiar with it you didn't have to. Alright, so this is a film school. What do you think you were trying to teach me through the list that you gave me? Um Part of it, I think, were just things that, when I looked at a list of things that you had not seen, that, that's originally what we did. We gave each other the list, I think, from the 1001 Films list. It came from different sources. Yeah, the 1001 was, Films. It was easier for you to make your list. Yes, it was. Because you've seen so many more films than I have. I gave you the 1001 Films list, and you marked off films that you had seen. Right. So I was able to deduce from that things that you hadn't seen. Part of it, I think, was that there were films that, I saw that you had were you were deficient in seeing certain films that you should see by filmmakers that you had all, already been familiar with, and other times they would be directors that maybe you weren't so familiar with. Like, right. like for example, had you seen the Spike Lee movie before Do the Right Thing? I if I did, it was by accident. Yeah, it's like oh, Inside Man, click. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't, I'm not in the mood for bank robbery today. Um. But, yeah, so there are certain things like that. I mean, yeah, th- th- I think that part of it is just because I feel like it's good for... Yeah. Like, there, there are some movies that I saw that I thought you would genuinely just enjoy, like, just as knowing you. And then there were other films that I chose, which I thought, well, this is kind of an important film. I wonder what he'll think of it. You know, I could be on the fence. Right. And I would choose a movie based on things that... Um, you know, maybe you would enjoy it because it would be a period piece, something right. like Barry Lyndon or Reds. Right, so you, you have this one philosophy of like, well, these are movies that Andrew would like, like Barry Lyndon and yes. Reds and, uh, I didn't, let me put and this way. Ikiru and things like that. Yeah, part but, of it is the importance angle of, you know, this film is pretty important in history, it should be seen. Right, and that's the other aspect, like, I can't believe Andrew hasn't seen this, like yeah. Mr. Smith Goes to Washington or Brazil or... The uh, Bicycle Thief. Or The Bicycle Thief, right. And, you know... You have a valid point. <laughs> yeah. Now, for you, was there any criteria aside from here? Here are the f- few movies that Jack hasn't seen. Well, it was a bit I of have. a desperation game. I had to. I had to play the cards I had. But I did want to bring to your attention 
a few of the lesser known classics. Like you, you've seen a lot of great films now, but then again, there are films that I had seen that you haven't, but which I thought were significant, not because of any great innovation, but because they were surprising. The day the earth stood still. The day the earth stood still. I mean, that, that was a big one. Yeah, that was a big one. Like uh, another one I was surprised you hadn't seen was the thing from another planet. Well, the funny thing was that I've, I I talked about this when we, when we talked to movies, there are certain films where I had seen the remake of the thing many times. Right. And I had seen part of the remake of the day the earth stood still. I just never sat down to watch the original something right and that and that's what surprised me like you're so curious about things and you love the thing i know you love the thing so why wouldn't you see the original especially since howard hawks was involved i i honestly answer me i i i have no don't try to avoid it i uh, your officer i i didn't see the guy he was coming so fast and it was just up against the wall all right um but yeah no they're just Again, the, the most surprising thing when it comes to a, a to somebody like me is is not the films that I have seen, but the films that I haven't. Right, and then or and then, or, or the or the Thin Man. Right, the Thin oh, Man. Geez. Although that that's a little understandable. Nobody, when they talk about classics, is ever going to talk about the Thin Man. Which, but no, but that was one of the big surprises for me. That was one of the first movies that came. That might have been the second episode, and it might, yeah, it was so. actually, and. Because we did thirty, we did Forty Second Street and the Thin Man together, right? And, um, yeah, and the Thin Man. The thing about that, uh, I should have. That was another film which I've had a number of these movies on DVD too over time. <laughs> I've had the, a copy of the Thin Man for years. All right, I've had a copy of Gandhi for years. Yeah, I had Fearless. I actually, I think that was how I first started off. I had the movies that I had already, and I right. watched those. Or I had it on Netflix. Then I ranched out to the library. But the thing about The Thin Man, you know, I, I like Dashiell Hammett a lot as an author. And yet, the other surprise for me was, oh my god, I love William Powell and Myrna Loy. Yeah, I set you off on a Myrna Loy kick. I, I have a, That's lasted to this day. If I was in prison, I'd have a poster of Myrna Loy up that I was using to guard my getaway. Yeah. <laughs> Mer, Myrna Loy and the Shawshank Redemption. Uh, I just think she's... I just think that, you know, a combination of being a great actress and just a certain attitude and beauty that just, oh, man. It's like, you know, it's one thing she, that... She's talent and personality. Yeah, she's not getting by on being just a bombshell. She's not like... Uh, Even though she is. In a, a matter of speaking, yeah, <laughs> yeah. A bit of a bombshell. Um, so, yeah, The Thin Man was a surprise. Of course, one of the big surprises was uh, that I hadn't seen Robin Hood. Oh yeah, that was, and I think among the films that might have been my favorite, yeah, of all the list movies. I mean, Robin Hood is, as you know, one of my top five of all time. Yes, and you know, the moment that was our first episode of this entire podcast. That's true, where where we talked about our favorite movies, and 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 it staggered me. You hadn't seen the Adventures of Robin Hood. You gave me that expression, which is like, you haven't seen Robin Hood. Yeah. For the, I got my one moment to feel to feel superior. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that was uh, that was one where um, I was I was ta- I was surprised by how uh, just how it holds up so well. It, yeah. It's a movie that you know again it was shot in 1938, but the sense oozing of adventure, with color. it oozing with brilliant Technicolor. I when I think of that movie, I think of green. Yeah, I think it's a very green movie. 
in a good way. But then, but then when, but when you have like someone in a red robe, the red is really, really red. Oh yeah, like what was is that um, Prince John? Is Pri- he kind of in red? I think I think uh, Guy of Giz- Gisborne has, has oh, okay. and Will Scarlet, of course. You know? Yes, um, I was. I think the thing that surprised me was again that I, as I told they you, they should rename it Primary Colors. The film. <laughs> well, there's already Primary Colors. Oh, it's an it. it's a political movie. Um, so I was I was because I told you I'd seen the the spoof, right? Robin Hood Men in Tights, which you still should see, right? Uh, at some point, I and to. and it's it's surprising how much. The Mel Brooks movie takes from that specific, the Errol Flynn Robin Hood. Yeah. But the Robin Hood originally is such a good movie that I almost, it made me respect Men in Tights even more that, you know, you weren't just mocking this movie to say, oh, what a a, silly movie. No, Mel Brooks clearly loves the Errol Flynn Robin Hood Hmm. and probably has problems with the Kevin Costner one. (laughs) Um, What were some, uh, what was a surprise for you? Like, what was something that I gave you that you're like, Wow. Well, let's see. I think, I, as far as surprises go, I'm mm. not sure about you know expectations, but I think if, if there's one film that really just kind of wowed me when I didn't expect it to wow me, it was Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It, what do you mean by didn't expect it to? Though? Well, because you know it seems like you'd heard of you'd heard a, it by reputation. There's a movie you hear about so much, and even though you don't see it, you kind of know what it's about. Sure. And I had seen part of this when I was younger, and I never okay. finished it. And I thought, you know, I know what this movie is about. And yeah. I'm going to see it to make it official, and it's probably going to be really good, but I don't really expect to have much of a connection to sure. it. Sure. But then I saw it, and I'm like, oh, this is this is much deeper than I thought it was. You know, it's not just about aliens. It's not just about, you know, uh, trying to find out the truth. It's about a deep human concept. and this of communication. I, of communication. And just trying to do the simplest of things, just to just to make contact with a, with a, with a group of aliens. Yes, it, it's so different from so many other alien uh, alien it's, contact films. It's a it's about a spiritual quest, and it's, you could say, and it, and the spirituality really caught caught me off guard too. Yeah, because it's not was, a, it's not a religious movie, but it has that. It's not element a religious of, film, but it's a spiritual film. Yeah, and I like a movie that can properly convey that yeah and uh yeah no i i didn't expect as much depth as i got in in close encounters of the third kind yeah and basically that was just because of my assumptions about the film but yeah that that one just you know it it, i got it at the right moment yeah i think i got a a lot of depth out of uh fearless i think that was the film which i i bought that that was a movie that i bought like years ago on like a going out of sale uh store selling right. out, unfortunately and like uh and i don't know why i didn't watch it again because i i like peter weir movies a lot we've talked about him before um yeah. and yet and i love jeff bridges he's one of my favorite actors so yeah. i don't know why but but again this was i could kind understand of, not seeing it because it's not something obvious like robin hood it's yeah well it's also how i think part of it sometimes is the thing of all right do i want to sit down now and take uh, some time out of my day to watch a movie about a guy coming to grips with surviving a plane crash. Yes. It's not the lightest movie to take in. I always have that problem, too. Like, remember I told you, like, I, I've told you this story, like, a bunch of times, but it's, you know, all these films, like, on review sites get, like, four out of four stars, and it's, like, about an Iranian family dealing with, you know, divorce <sighs> and something like that. I'm like, yeah. okay, great, it's great, but 
I don't. I, well, I don't want to say I don't care, but this doesn't sound exciting to me. It doesn't spark your interest. No, it doesn't spark my interest at all. No, no, it's like. Uh, well, I was just talking about uh, uh, the devil, probably. Right. That's not a movie that I would recommend personally to you. Like, if we were doing the list again, that wouldn't be something I would throw out to you. Right. Um, I might throw out another Bresson movie, but that would be... I'd have to be very careful. Um, but with Fearless, though, that movie has a lot... Like, I got a lot out of that movie. Yeah. I, that was, uh, you know... A, like it, it snuck up on me how much of a masterpiece it is. Like, uh, just... I've thought a lot about that whole scene where uh, Jeff Bridges and Rosie Perez in the car... Uh, and she's like, you know, just pouring her heart out and just so hysterical, right. even though he's been trying to, they've been having a bit of like a, you know, up until this point in the movie, they started to become a little bit closer and she just still can't get over the death of her kid. And then right. he's like, all right, let's drive this car into the wall. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's not just about people who have been through <clears> a tragedy <throat> and they're not, they're not moping throughout the whole thing. They have moments of humor and moments when they're trying to be happy and not everything works, but they keep just like running into it and sometimes running into a wall yeah spiritually speaking that's another movie where jeff bridges's character is trying to just figure out like what is why am i still alive yeah why, why am i still in this world I, he's calm on the exterior but he <coughs> but on the inside he's scrambling for something he doesn't know yeah. what yet but he he's he's reaching for something and, he, and he's going to keep reaching and reaching until finally yeah. he gets it or he dies the sense of internal conflict was just remarkable and yeah. of course you know and having jeff bridges there convey that it was just man, it's so great for jeff bridges too because he's always been such like a calm persona yeah no matter what he's done he's always been kind of he's cool. usually a he's bit always, of a rock he's been, yeah he he's been kind of stoic laid back but you know and on the exterior he has that in this film but it's just such a great counterpoint to all he's that coming interior. undone and and that's like a great uh, you you see that conflict so well in an actor like that, right? You know, I mean, Rosie Perez, she has a different kind of character to to play with, right? Um, she's external, yeah. I guess, yeah. So, by the way, we've had a number of actors who keep popping up: Rosie Perez and Fearless and Do the Right Thing. Right. We um, had um, what's his name, Danny Aiello, pop up and do the right thing, and in Moonstruck, Moonstruck and, and Hudson and Hawk. Hudson Hawk. So let's now is a good chance. Let's talk about Hudson Hawk. Do we? <laughs> <laughs> Now, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that for this year, this is going to be your your worst from the list. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say, like, oh, this is absolutely one of the worst films of all time or something right. like that. But among the films that I watched, that was the one that impressed me the least. <laughs> or, or it made an impression, but I just didn't know what to make of it. I mean, I talked about it a lot when we a few weeks back, but I was just like, oh, man, you aimed so high and missed so large at what point at what moment in hudson hawk did you realize okay we're going way downhill <laughs> i think it was honestly i mean i was still wondering okay this movie is a little bit off but i mean i like bruce willis in in this period of like you know at, first at, die hard at what but, moment does it start does your heart start to sink honestly the uh when they have the when they start singing in the bank, or not the bank when <laughs> the they're in the museum, museum. and oh, they're it's, no, it's an auction house. They're, they're they're trying to steal the thing from the auction house and they're singing. And that I just I like I told you I had that moment where 
you know, in that nostalgia critic review when he's watching uh, Tom and Jerry sing together right. about being best friends, and like he's wondering, like, oh my god, I've noticed the death of Tom and Jerry. Yeah. Like to me, I'm like, oh my god, I've noticed the moment where Bruce Willis just stopped caring about this movie, and <laughs> and that's very interesting because when I rewatched this to you know to talk about it with you, that is the moment again where I started laughing. <laughs> Because I knew there was no other film in the world where Bruce Willis and Danny Aiello were going to do a duet while mm-hmm. robbing an auction house. I, I mean, in in and my intellectually, I can respect that. Yeah, like I can, I can understand that. I, I know that. Yeah, there's no other movie that they'll do that. But also, like, but watching it, I'm like, I don't care. This is so stupid. <laughs> this movie lost me. I was kind of with it. I mean, I wasn't totally with it, but like, okay, he's a cat burglar. Let's see what happens with him. And from that point on, it was just a mess. And then it just went. Then I mean, I can side. see why it has the cult it does. Like, I can. I can... Why it was someone's favorite movie of all time puzzles me a little bit. But even so, I mean, what, what the hell? I mean, Plan 9 from Outer Space is seriously somebody's favorite movie out there. Right. Um, and, if, and if I met that guy and I said, yeah, it's, it's, it, it doesn't hit me that same way. Yeah. If know, it, they would have yeah. Be, they, we, we would be having the exact same conversation yeah. I'm having with you. I think it also, uh, part of it too, was just knowing how, you know, this was a $70 million movie yeah. in 1991. If this had been like maybe some kind of low budget musical or something like that, I'd be like, okay, it didn't quite work, but that's okay. Yeah, but the amount of the amount of waste that wasn't even that much up on the screen. Right. When you put it that way, yeah, it certainly seems hard to justify. Like clearly that was seventy million dollars, most of it most of which got nowhere near the screen. (laughs) Yeah. Like at least with a movie like Heaven's Gate. You know, that's a big disaster of, like, epic proportions, but the money is there. Right. Um, what, uh, so what was an experience that might have disappointed you, even though there were, there were, maybe there were things about it that you liked or responded to? Because I can, I have a suspicion of one, but I want, but I'm interested to hear. Well, the one film, I didn't have a negative reaction to this, but this is the one that kind of, uh, puzzled you. That, that didn't really connect with me at all, and that was Persona. I thought so. Right. Yeah. I I said straight up when I started this, I don't get this film. Yeah. And I don't. And I I've seen and I've seen one Ingmar Bergman film before this. Yeah, the Seventh the, Seal. Seventh Seal. And but you know, compared to the Seventh Seal, uh, when you compare the Seventh Seal to Persona, it is that, a big leap. Yeah. I the Seventh Seal is a fairy tale compared to Persona. <laughs> This dance with death is a fairy tale. Yeah, I mean, to... I mean, the Seventh Seal had a plot. It had characters. It had uh, it. It had people struggling with ideas, and somehow, and at the end, it had a conclusion. Yeah, where you where you saw where where everybody ended up somewhere different than they began. Yeah, and in Persona, it was two people who I'm guessing were kind of the same person. Yeah, but I couldn't see what was. Uh, but I couldn't see how they had progressed from one place to another. Okay, I, I see. For me, even, even like, though it's a beautifully shot film, yeah, and I, I and I'm kind of glad I saw it because I recognize that, and I'm like, oh, this is a different kind of black and white than I'm normally used to seeing. Yeah, well, this is the Sven Nikvist, uh 
style. Of, yeah. Uh, of, actually, it's funny though. He shot another movie that you watch, Crimes and Misdemeanors. Okay. Yeah, I, I forgot. I just suddenly remembered that that he shot both those films. I never would have guessed that. No, I mean, well, Woody Allen, of course, was a huge, huge Bergman head. Um, <laughs> I think for me, I felt I felt a little disappointed in myself because I was like, oh, because to me, it was around that time where I thought, well, Andrew's trying to get into headier, surreal, experimental films. Right. Maybe this would be a good one to give him, but. I guess you know some of them work and some don't. Oh, and I love surreal. I love yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I lo- I love vague. It, you know, when you do it yeah. right, it's. Uh, I don't I don't want to say this film was too vague, but yeah. I I couldn't find the thread to grab I got you. And to really I couldn't find anything to latch on with this film. But I, got I you. but that doesn't mean I'm not going to give this film another chance. Hmm. Yeah, I could see you uh, coming back to it possibly. Right. <laughs> um. Now, as far as things that. I, I respected some of the craft and things about it, but didn't quite connect. Is um, uh, Knights of the Round Table? Yeah. Unfortunately, this may I could, this may just be a film for me. I could say. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's. I I don't blame you for this. Like Knights of the Round Table was actually kind of a last minute, last ditch effort to make sure I got up to twenty six films. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure Jack hasn't seen it. It's a round table. Let's throw that on the list. Yeah. But I'm still I interested in your, in your in your response. Sure. No, I mean, and I was interested in it, too. I think that, you know, I mean, there there have been a number of King Arthur films over the years, but there aren't, like, an astronomical number of them. It's no. not like, uh, um, gosh, like, uh, it's not like Godzilla or something where yeah. you can pull any King Arthur movie off the shelf. And... You know, it's from a time period in Hollywood where you had kind of like a classical style going on. It's just that it, certain movies may not age particularly well, and I don't think that aged that well. Yeah, uh, for me, it represented kind of an endangered species. <laughs> Here in this cabinet, we have the Knights of the Round Table. You can see it's preserved here, where <laughs> where uh, Mel Ferrer has this face that says, get me out of this. I, it catered to a certain taste that I have. And, you know, and sure. you know my pet peeves about modern epics, you know, modern historical films, and I felt like this was an antithesis to everything that's wrong with films. It, you know, uh, it, And so, in that way, Knights of the Round Table is a very personal film for me. Sure. I think that maybe part of it, too, is sometimes you'll see a film, after you've seen another film, like, you know, when I was talking about the two-minute, on the two-minute movie mile, where I watched Concussion after I saw the big short. Right. And uh, also Spotlight, I, I lump in with that. If I see a movie that impresses me so much in a certain style or, or approach with or characters, and I see another film, I mean, it might not be, even be that movie's fault entirely, but I can't help but compare them. So I had seen Robin Hood, you know, but right before I saw Knights of the Round Table, well, yeah, well, and well, I think that's not a favorable comparison at all. <laughs> well, no, no, but like I feel like what a movie like Robin Hood does everything that Knights of the Round Table probably want to do, but does it so much better. Yeah, give you the sense of you know, medieval period and color and decorum. But maybe part of it's Knights of the Round Table just isn't that much fun. Hmm. Is that a way to put it? Like, there's no real entry point. You're kind of... I'm trying to remember if that many memorable characters It certainly doesn't it. have the same energy. No, it has more of a low energy. Yeah. Which is what... It's much it, which lower is not, key. Which is not very good when you're dealing with that kind of story. And not or, all the actors are great. Mer- you know what it is, too? Excalibur exists, oh, and yeah. I know that you have your problems with Excalibur, but that's a version of King that that's a version of the King Arthur myth, which 
you know, it that that accomplishes a lot. Like the best criticism of Knights of the Round Table is Excalibur. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have problems with with Excalibur's story and script, mm-hmm. but it's I mean, <laughs> I don't know. It, you can't compare the, those those visuals. The look of the film yeah. is what sells it. That's part mm-hmm. of it. Like, but I could see why you recommended it. I think another small disappointment was Pacific Heights. Mm. Although it is such an unusual movie in tone that I still, if it was on TV one day, I might tune into it for a few minutes, right? Just to, just to soak in the bat s uh, crazy that Matthew Modine goes for that movie. Right. He's so wrong for that part, but he goes for it, and I, I have to give him credit for that. <laughs> and, you know, and Michael Keaton. In Michael there. Keaton is fine in it. Yeah, it's just. I think that the the script of that movie was so boneheaded. Yeah. Is that a good term to use? Have it, we used boneheaded lately? No, I don't think we've used it in the whole podcast, actually. Yay! I get a gold star. Put it on the board. <laughs> yeah. Oh, here, let me ask you an interesting question. Sure. I mean, we've talked about movies we've given each other. And we wa- we looked at these films to, just to kind of update ourselves. Yeah. Like the, uh, I, you know, I watched the films I gave you. You watched the films I gave you. Yeah. So... Seeing another film again, seeing one of the films you had put on the list again, yeah. what was something that you got out of those? Um, uh, like, let me, let me well, it had been a while since I had seen Nashville, for example. All right. That was something that I was reminded, oh man, Robert Altman was so great. And I had seen the movie not like maybe just a month or so after he had died right. back in like 2007. Watching this again, it hit me harder. Like I, I might have mentioned on the podcast, but I was kind of in tears at the end. Yeah. When they were singing it, don't worry me. Like that hit me hard. There is something about watching Nashville now. Yes. After all. Yes. After all of the uh, after all the shootings we've had it, with within just the last two years. It feels like a movie, even though it's set 40 years ago. It's more. It's totally prescient. Yeah. Uh, if that's the word to use, uh, it and, fit it, into its time period. It fit into its time period when it was made, mm-hmm. and it still fits now. Yeah, and I liked the music more. I think the first time I saw it, I didn't quite get into the music the way mm. I did this time. Because, I, like I said, I'm not a big country music guy at all. But the songs <laughs> in Nashville are memorable and catchy. And, and I had my own perspective on country music too. That this, yeah, really, uh, it's really um, shed some light on. I think yeah. So Nashville was one. Uh, I think um, uh, I'm trying to think back about when you, when you so, you so you mean like I had a different take on the movie. Like uh, like seeing it again made you look at it in a different way. Like for me, that was that helped happen with Julius Caesar. Hmm. I mean, I uh, I thought this was. This is probably the best version of Julius Caesar that's been put on the screen. Yeah. Uh, but I really was able to look mm. more into the the play mm. because of seeing Julius Caesar again. And I saw a lot more of the intricacies with Brutus's character and, and the ironies of, of yeah. his actions. Mm-hmm. I mean, it got me to appreciate Shakespeare more, I think. Yeah. Even, and and uh, even though it is Marlon Brando and James Mason doing some pretty awesome performances. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it went beyond that. Yeah, I think also another one maybe for me was uh, uh, American Graffiti. Mm. I think uh, that was a movie I liked a lot when I first saw it. I didn't love it. This time I think I loved it. Mm. I think that it... uh, I don't know know if it connected with me more, but I just got into the flow of it. Yeah. Um, I think in other times, I can't remember if I've ever watched American Graffiti from start to finish. Like, I would always see it in big chunks on TV, 
and that was sort of my memory of it, sitting down to watch it and focus on it, I'm like, wow, this is a special movie. American Graffiti is one I'm going to have to see again. Yeah. If uh, I mean, it's it's a good movie. I love the soundtrack. I actually fortunately have the soundtrack on vinyl. Oh, surprise! Which is awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the the thing that really makes it important to me is that it really gives me much a much better perspective on George Lucas. Yeah, a guy I've only really known through Star Wars and you know a little through Indiana Jones. And, yeah, you and, actually it's a it's a very you could tell it's a personal film for him. And, you know, right. it, it's also a kind of look at, you know, what it means to be a young person about to either get on with something in your life or to just have a good time. Yeah. And, and you know, George Lucas got honored at the Kennedy Center mm. recently. And did they bring to... up American Graffiti? Yeah, sure. OK. I mean, all of his films. I mean, Star Wars, obviously, we know about Star yeah. Wars. But it brought up American Graffiti, graffiti and we learned that George, one of George Lucas's big passions was cars oh that was before movies he he yeah he was a hot rodder and part of the reason he got into filmmaking was because he got into a really serious auto accident yeah he got into an accident and And then he decided all right i can't keep doing this cars thing anymore i just barely got out alive uh so (laughs) maybe i should explore something else and films somehow came to him because it was the 60s yeah and it's and it you know american graffiti it's so genuine yeah, and it it seems so personal. It's a side of George Lucas that I hadn't seen before. Mm. And just to think about this guy who, who who spent most of his youth just you know tr- driving around cruising for chicks. He's, yeah, he was kind of a handsome guy back then. Yeah, no I've beard. seen the younger pictures of him. He's he, he's like he you know, pictures he, of him back then looked like that guy with the yellow car with the cigarettes rolled up in 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 his uh. T-shirt. Who, who was that character in American Graffiti? Oh, uh, Milner. Right. That was that was like hit. That was what he looked like. You know what's interesting? If you break down the various characters in the movie, it's like Milner is kind of like what he looked like and what he wanted to be. Right. And the Charles Martin Smith character was a little bit more like how he was. <laughs> he was kind of like a dweeby nerd. Yeah. And I guess Richard Dreyfuss and Trying Ron Howard to were buy alcohol without an ID. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that scene. Yeah. Um, let me ask you. So, what were uh, what were some other interesting ones for you? Well, uh, let me I don't know if that's a word to use, but well, I'm trying to think of a question to ask. Well, let me you. give you like my top five. If I was to choose the five films that I sure, loved let's, the let's, most, let's from, do that. If I was to choose the five li- movies that I loved the most, okay. Uh, these are these would be them. Uh, number five would be Reds. Yeah, Reds was just a story that. Uh, was so original, and I had never seen anything like it. And you know, it's it's an epic uh, w- that's presented in such an interesting way. That was one I was hopeful for, and when I rewatched it, I'm like, I think this could connect with Andrew. I yeah. think that he, you know, he's such a student of history, and this is about a genuine piece of history that you know he didn't know about, so. right? Or he knew about, but not this story. Yeah, something like that. Uh, ne- uh, number four, I think would uh would be uh Brazil. Okay, yeah, I, Brazil is just such a monumental achievement. It is. It's uh, so it's much. Terry Gilliam laying down the gauntlet, saying, "Okay, you know me from my Python. Here's what I can really do." Yeah, so much with so little money by today's standards. Yeah, no, he he kind of pulled in a similar way what Lucas did with Star Wars. Yeah, you know, you could say in that way, and it's funny how. Over time, I, it's uh, the anti-Hudson Hawk. 
Huh. It's it has so much texture. Yes, so yeah. much goes on the screen, and it's actually funny. And it's, it's funny. It's, it's exuberance works. Yes, and you know, it's, and it's even a, if Terry Gilliam is being self indulgent with anything, it's all for our benefit. Yes, he he's making a movie for himself, but it's also like we we can we, we're seeing a real vision. We're yeah. seeing a visionary actually work. There, yeah, there's number three. Number three, uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Okay. Interesting. Because it was just such an obvious film that I needed to see it. <laughs> it, it was. I mean, again, that's... I think that's the equivalent of um, uh, Me with High Noon. Right. And the it, fact that I hadn't seen that. That was my very first List movie. Yeah. And it, it's Jimmy Stewart doing his thing. It's Frank Capra doing his thing. And it and yeah. it has such a corny reputation that it doesn't deserve. It's a much, it's a deeper film than you would expect. Much right. like It's but, a Wonderful Life. Yeah, and it is sentimental. Yes. You can't deny that. But there's so much more to it than its sentimentality. It's like 30% sentimentality. Yeah. Not not 60% sentimentality. Like a lot expect. of things come together to make that movie work. Right. And it probably, it probably shouldn't work as well as it does, but that's one of the great things about when you see a movie yeah uh, uh number two mm-hmm. uh, beauty and the beast by uh, jean cocteau yeah that was one of the obvious ones for me the fa- you know that again fantasy you know you love fairy tales right that are done in a sophisticated way yeah a very sophisticated film i i didn't know enough about jean cocteau but mm-hmm. the, but like gilliam yes. he does so much with special effects mm-hmm. that it's like a magic trick yeah you you don't there were times I'd watch Beauty and the Beast, and I'd I'd see something happen, and I'd rewind it to watch it happen again uh, because I I couldn't believe what had happened had happened. That's also a case of a filmmaker doing a lot with a little. I mean, like I, I don't know what kind yeah, of budget I he remember, had to work with. But... I remember talking about that. Like this was this came out in 1946. I mean, there had been a war in Europe <laughs> yeah. for five years. Film, Where like... the hell did he get enough film or anybody to make a film like this? And release it just after the war had ended. Yeah. F- sugar was a rare commodity, much less film stuff. Yes. That's crazy. Yeah. And John, yeah, you also see another vision right there of uh, Cocteau's brilliance. Right. This this convinced me to move Blood of a Poet up on my must-see list, and then I did see it. Oh, yeah. Right. That's true. And your number one film of the list. The number one is Ikiru. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Because it's... I guess this is just the the story that meant the most to me. Okay. I well, it's meant to a lot to a lot of people over the decades. Yeah, I mean, I, I it's you can see why, and it's and the the best comparison I have to this film it's is it's a wonderful life, mm. but it's but it's that same sort of idea taken in another completely different direction. In some it, ways, it's a sadder film, but. For me, it's almost deeper. Like it yeah. has like a level of understanding that okay, let's get. We're not dealing with Christmas here. We're dealing with with everyday life. Yeah, I mean, because in because did you say Mr. Smith or It's a Wonderful Life? I I talked about both of those. Okay, I was saying so. It's almost like the, Kurosawa's the, the, Capra movie. Yeah. Okay. It, and it's just uh, the way. I, well, that actor too. I mean, yeah. uh, Nakada. I, 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 what's his name? I, 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 
I'm, oh. I'm so ashamed I can't remember this guy's name. Oh, no, but, but he was a, one of the main... Oh, Takashi Shimura. Right, Takashi Sorry. Shimura. Maybe. And who has been in many Kurosawa films. He was like... People always think of Mifune with Kurosawa, but Shimura was in a lot of Kurosawa yeah. movies. He was the other... He was basically Yoda in uh, Seven Samurai. <laughs> yeah. He, you know, he was that mentor of Samurai, too. Mm-hmm. As you said. Uh... I just... its a per, It was a movie that hit you profoundly. Yeah. You almost can't express it. And, you know, everybody knows it's a wonderful life. And if you took someone who liked that film, you would show them Ikiru and say, you should watch this. And they'd say, eh, I don't want to watch this. This is just a Japanese film. What am I going to do? Yeah. But you would see... But if, if someone just gave that film a chance, they would see the same things in this film as yeah. they saw in, in Frank Capra's work. I haven't seen Ikiru, like, a lot of times in my life. I've seen it on the big screen once... And yet, there are a number of images that have just stayed with yeah. me my whole life. Like like the guy on the swing, and, and sitting in that bar singing Life is Brief. Oh, but oh the, that's the shot where it just stays on him, and his eyes are like full of tears. And, and him sitting at his desk, and the narration's like, this man, is, this man is dying, but he's also been dying for about 40 years. In a way, it's, it's a... You could say it's also like... Um, uh, like a much deeper, like American Beauty or something. That's also yeah, a movie a where you know, without uh, without the sort of like American self indulgence yeah. to it. In 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 one year's time, I will be dead. But in a way, I've been dead already. Yeah, and but the the shot that sticks with me the most is the very last shot where yeah. you see that playground and there's the overpass mm-hmm. and there's the one bureaucrat standing on the overpass. Yeah, because everything the the ending of that film. All right, the ending of It's a Wonderful Life is everything's okay. George Bailey gets is saved. Everybody's happy. The end. Yeah. Great ending. It, at the end of Ikiru, we've had the big revelation, and we realize what uh, what's happened in the film. Yeah. But we're in danger of forgetting the lesson. Yes. And that last shot is a reminder. The sacrifice matters. Yeah, and that you... And that you can't forget it because is it's always in danger of being forgotten. Yeah. And the moment you forget that, you, you've you've unlearned the entire lesson of the film. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's my number All one right. of this of the list. Okay. So my I guess if I had a ranking, um, can I have kind of a tied number five? Go ahead. Fuck it. All it's right. our podcast. Yeah. Um, forget about it. Um, my, I don't know if I just cursed there, but I tried to mock it up by, uh, whatever. So, um, I guess my tide number five, uh, Julius Caesar and the Rocketeer. Oh, okay. Um, I think Julius Caesar, I would put it up just because, again, that story is, uh, just so compelling on an yeah. inherent level. Like, even if I, and also just so much great dialogue that I, you know it's been in the culture, and lines that you're like, wow, I didn't... That's from Julius Caesar. Right. It's it Greek ma- to me. A tu brute. Yeah. You know, the the fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves yeah. as... Uh, uh, sla- he Does he say slaves? As more... He follows it up with something, and I'm uh, blanking up. Because it's not just the fault in our... Not, is not the fault in our stars, but in ourselves. Right. But he says something after that. And I'm sure maybe one of our kind listeners will inform Lots us. Lots of theater people listen to this. They'll be able to correct maybe. us. Uh, so Julius Caesar, yeah, the performances were spectacular. Brando surprised me the most because it's like, 
I wonder if he can pull this off. Yeah. And he really does. Right. You you said it was stunt casting. Initially, I thought it might have been. Yeah, but and that well, that's the trivia. That was the truth. Right. A lot of critics and like people in Hollywood thought. You're going to put this guy who mumbles in Tennessee Williams plays yeah. into Shakespeare. And yet Brando, you know, he felt that passion and he delivered it. Right. I watched that speech just by itself, just just to take that in. Because not only is it just great, not as only is it just great writing, yeah. but Brando completely sells it. If you want to see the antithesis of that, see Charlton Heston do it in another Julius Caesar. Oh, my God. <laughs> and Jason Robards as Brutus. I, I just I have that on VHS. You're gonna suffer through it this year. No. <laughs> All right, but but it's All night right. and day. But on the flip side, so you have on the one hand that sort of period piece. On the other hand, you have the Rocketeer, which was just so much fun. Yeah. And as I said, that's kind of what I wanted the first Captain America movie to be. Right. Incidentally, from the same director, yeah. Joe Johnston. It's it's like Robin Hood. Yeah, it's well, where they well, just... he, well, Timothy Dalton as Errol Flynn, basically. Yeah. Um, and you have, you know, Th- such these a... films are spiritual brothers. These yeah. Are. And you have Alan Arkin being very Arkin-y. Right. Uh, Sorvino being gangstery. Was Jennifer Connelly in that movie? Yes. Okay, yeah. She Jennifer was, Connelly she was a being great... Connelly. <laughs> yeah, she was a great fe- f- uh, female uh, love interest. She was a great female. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God, um, that that makes me think of something else I should talk about off mic. Um, not as good as Myrna Loy, but yeah, still, yeah. Was it a was it a perfect film? No, no. But I, what it set out to do, it's it had a purity that I was just surprised. That, wow, it I, had a sin- it had sincerity. Yeah, it was not kidding anything about it. It wasn't no. winking to the camera, which is you know that that can be a real problem. Yeah. Uh, with a movie that, that can kill you that can kill a film like a knife through the heart yes um so those are kind of my right tied number celluloid heart those are tied number five uh my number four fearless i i talked about it already right. so i don't know how much i can add to it just a a great deep drama that you know really deals with uh loss and spirituality and but still a lot of existential not, questions but still not too heavy no there there's some there, there is. It has some, light moments few, and good it, light moments, not just light moments for the sake of lightness. Yeah, no, Jeff Bridges, he's still like uh, his character still is trying to also find some lightness in life. Right. Um, so number we talked three. about that. My number three is the Innocence. All right. Um, uh, just a just a good oh, black and white horror film. I, you know, or I, I, possibly psychological thriller, or possibly period piece. I call it a psychological horror film. Okay. I think that is kind of like a subgenre unto itself. Or psychological horror ghost, maybe ghost story. Um, and one that delivers. Oh, yeah, it totally delivers. Uh, you know, it's... um, uh, a, Like, when I saw Crimson Peak, I felt like this was in the tradition of the innocence. Yeah. Um, the gothic... The, the great thriller. gothic uh, tale, you know, shot beautifully... Like mm. this was a case where, all right, this is how this is a black and white horror movie that knows how to use widescreen and make it really effective. You know, the the when she's just out in the daytime and sees the one figure out in the the the, the reeds. Yeah, that that just sticks out so much to me. Um, 
Oh, what was the main actress's name? Deborah Kerr. Deborah Kerr is fantastic in the movie. I like how she's constantly trying to figure things out for herself and talking out loud. Yeah. And yet, you know, what is she saying things that will actually lead her to solving the mystery? Or is she just kind of talking to, her to try to or is she talk talking things herself out? up into, into uh, yeah. Yeah, because she's ta- constantly talking to that other woman who's been here the whole time. And she doesn't want to talk about it at all. Yeah. Uh, she just wants to, let's get, get on with the children, yeah. you know, and all that. And these kids, oh, such good kid actors. Probably yeah. some of the best kid actors I've ever seen. Yeah. I, and he popped up again in Village of the Damned. What's his face? He did. Yeah, what's his face? That's that's what will be on his tombstone. What's his face? He was in Village of the Damned. <laughs> and the Innocents. And- I'm not just, very good with names. I just people. picture, uh, I, I just picture like the whoever actually did the Wilhelm screen on his tombstone is just Wilhelm. <laughs> <laughs> he did the scream that you all know. <laughs> ah! <laughs> all right. Uh, my number two, the Thin Man. Uh, I mean, all I right. talked about this a little bit. I this was just a supremely entertaining movie uh, yeah. from start to finish. It. Cause, and it actually has a plot. It has a plot. If you look at and it, it's funny. It it ha- it's fun. It's constantly funny. You know, Pal and Loy are you know they chemistry chemistry up to the butt chemistry yes. up the butt. They they clearly are put that on the DVD cover. You know, they work great together. They also great work. They have seen they have a few scenes here and there where they're separate too. Yeah, you know, because William Powell is figuring out a lot of stuff while you know Nora isn't always there. But when she's there, she's great, you know, to bounce off of. Right. You know, all the great. I I almost beat myself up now that um. I should make this a New Year's Eve movie. Yeah. Doesn't it take place in part on New Year's Eve? They're constantly it having takes parties place around Christmas. Yeah, and New Year's Eve too. Yeah, this make is it a companion piece with Snowpiercer. <laughs> Why is that your New Year's Eve? movie? It takes place on New Year's. Remember that scene where they're crossing the bridge? Oh and yeah. Five. Four, three, yeah, that takes place oh, on New right, Year's right. Day. Okay. All right, that, oh, I forget that. Jeez. Now I understand why you didn't get my text. No, yeah. <laughs> um, I texted Jack on New Year's Eve, and I said, spare seven people for our seventh year on the rails. And he's like, what? <laughs> and then I said, Snowpiercer, I'm like, and he pretended to know what I was talking yeah, about. Yeah, I did kind of pretend. I... What can I say? I, I better, thought I thought you were maybe making some ritual sacrifice and texting me about it. <laughs> um, but no, Thin it's better, Man. It's better than the uh, text I sent Corey about Zardoz. Yeah, Thin Man is an example of what was some of the best about classic '30s. It's a mix of screwball comedy where it's co- funny and snappy. And yet, it has a great mystery element. It's a it's detective story. It's too. a real detective story, and that was something I I think the reason I, I I'm not going to say I avoid it for a lot of years, but I think for a long time I thought that that was something that maybe you couldn't mix well. Mm. I was a little bit worried that, you know, how do you mix like the hard boiled Dashiell Hammett world with, you know, light romantic comedy or something that uh, just doesn't sound out, like it's not hard boiled at all. No, no, and but it works. Yeah, and also the sequel. I, I it, it then made me see the sequel. That's also right. quite good. I mean, there are a number of Thin Man movies, and I hear they degrade a little bit in quality. But the second Min- Thin Man movie is really good. Uh, if you ever get a chance to see it, and there, Jimmy Stewart's Thin in Man, it. Thin Harder, <laughs> Thin Man, the thinnest. 
The, the thinnest man. The thinning. Thin man for revenge. <laughs> thin, thin man. The fat man. <laughs> the, the thin man. Uh, oh, crap. <laughs> the, the, anyway. Anyway, we, we join us on our blog where we come up with... Uh, thin uh, man titles. <laughs> thin man spinoffs <laughs> involving bodies. All right. And, of course, my number one, as I said, was Robin Hood. Yeah. Which I've talked about to death. Robin Hood should be the number one everything. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> Remember yeah. how I said I'll let you put Casablanca on your best spy movies list? Yeah. Because, because Casablanca b- deserves to be number one on every yeah. list. Right. Yeah, Robin Hood deserves to be mm-hmm. like right next to it. Now, it's tied with number one. Mm-hmm. Now, I'd like to, now, I'd like to point out a few kind of what I'd call honorable mentions of movies that really in, impressed me in certain right. ways. Uh, last night was a very unusual movie that I, I I think is unlike any film I've seen in a long time. Yeah. And I don't know how, if you could quite do it again. Yeah. It does its own thing. Yeah. It doesn't copy. It doesn't really derive much from any other film you've seen before. It, it's like finding that it's like finding an indie rock album that your friend tells you about in college and that you genuinely like because it's good, not just because it's indie. <laughs> yeah, I'm not like I'm not going up being like I'm going to get it because, you know, the first album was better than the first album. Right. <laughs> you don't have to be a hipster to like last night. You can yeah. like it just because it's a good movie. Um uh even though I didn't think it was a great movie, I had, I had a little bit of fun with Jason the Argonauts. Yeah, Jason the Argonauts. It's, it's you, pure fun. You can't get, you know, you can't lose with uh, Ray Harryhausen animation. I gotta say, Jason and the Argonauts, I loved seeing that again. Yeah. Just so I could appreciate the special effects more. See the interaction that they made between those yeah. those stop motion puppets mm-hmm. and the people in the frame. Well, what goes without saying that the skeleton fight is a masterpiece. Right. Like if that like if that was just a little short <laughs> film, I'd be like, give him all the Oscars. Yeah. But I mean the rest of the movie around it, it's Alright. The characters I mean, are not deep. No. And not in the good way like like Princess Mononoke. Yeah. But uh But it's it, a fun it, one. It's it's technically sound. They yeah. cut around the boring parts. <laughs> yeah. They make sure that you're not spending too much time without a uh, without a fight of some kind. Yeah. And really, it's a great way to spend an afternoon. Yeah. And I mentioned uh, High Noon. Right. Uh, you know, getting that Gary Cooper walking around town with that song following him. Yeah. As if he was like Radio Rahim and do the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> See, now you can make that joke. Yeah, see, it's like he's wandering around. He doesn't have the boombox, but you might as well have. That was one of my favorite jokes from from the podcast. It's like Gary Cooper's walking down the street. He's got an iPod with that with yeah. that song on. Yeah, and then like he passes Radio Raheem. Is it fight the power? And they just wave at each other. With Bill yeah. What's that his name? Frank Miller. Frank Miller. Whoa, Frank whoa, Miller, whoa, the whoa, villain Frank. who went on to write right, the Dark Knight Returns. Yes. Um, a couple other notable things I just want to mention. Um, uh, seeing Poltergeist and enjoying it, even though I think that the film has maybe an extra climax too many. 
I love that extra climax. I <laughs> I've come to appreciate it in part, I think, because of how enthusiastic you are about it. Yeah. I think about you there imitating no, Craig there is T. Nelson. There's nothing like Craig T. Nelson grabbing a man by the lapels and screaming in his face. Yeah. That as much as I want to say Steven Spielberg went a little too far. It's still a very enjoyable horror movie, yeah. and it filled up that that filled up a very big gap in my Spielberg viewing, which I, you know, I guess we both had kind of a Spielberg gap to fill. Yeah, we did have uh, we did have our own gaps to fill when it came yeah, to Spielberg. Yeah, and um, and one last uh, and one more thing too is um, uh oh, and the and the thing, and the seeing thing, the thing from right. another world that I was impressed that a movie that was that talky could be. So suspenseful. It could be constantly interesting because you're constantly trying to see people figure things out. Yeah. And it's uh, a smart film. Yeah. A constant. Yeah. You're even if even if the monster doesn't look great, they use him just enough and they shoot it in such a way that it's not too distracting. Right. Um, And then James Arness popped up again in them. Yes, he did. Um, any other, what are some no, other notable possible things for you? Uh, I'm really glad I saw Umberto D. Even it's, even though it's not in my top five, that's mm-hmm. still a film that needs to be seen. It is one, just of, the, because, it is like, one of my favorite they're films. They're just films that are good to see, even if you don't like them, because they're, hmm. there's just something about them that... They can touch you in a certain way. That teaches you something. Yes. I, it's good for humanity that Umberto D exists. <laughs> yes. That, uh, that's a great way to put... Well, that and Bicycle Thieves, you could say. Like, the two of them is like a... It's like a, a A-side, B-side uh, release from Tosica. Right. And, uh, I don't know, I think I like... I, I just think I like Umberto D better. I think it just... It had... It had I, I do, too, honestly. Yeah. Like, I know that Bicycle Thieves is the movie that gets put on everybody's... Uh, not everybody's, but a lot of critics have put in their... For a short time, I think in the 50s, it might have been the number one movie. If Tzika is known for anything, it's for the Bicycle Thieves. Yeah, Bicycle but Thieves is the mo- more famous film. It's kind of like... That's like saying putting that's like putting American Graffiti on your list and not saying anything about Star Wars. Well, well, it's like you know saying yes, you might want to say that everybody, Spielberg is known for E.T., but I like Close Encounters more. Right. Which I know is a very controversial opinion, probably to nobody. Except in my head. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, Umberto D is a very impressive film. Detour is a great film. Again, like The Thing. Yeah. Uh, low budget, short. To the point. Very smart. To the point. No no fat at all. Yeah. Uh, Barry Lyndon. Hmm. It's a, just a it's just a film i got to watch again because of so much detail. Oh, yeah. So much authenticity. And just a, an amusing, sometimes tragic, sometimes just funny uh, story. I mean, yeah. uh, it's just a man's life laid out with all the ups and downs. Well, well, you got well. When it comes to Kubrick, can you say that you can only watch one of his movies that you really like once? Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you point. you get something different out of 2001 or uh, The Shining each time you watch it. Granted, uh, you, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I think that's all I'm gonna talk. Okay. Gonna say. Yeah. So I think though, ultimately though. Uh, to give any final thoughts about the list, I think this was a good way to, uh, again, fill up some gaps that we had in our movie viewing wa- knowledge. You know, have a little bit of fun. You know, something like, you know, I don't know if I would watch The Golden Voyage of Sinbad on my own. And I don't know <laughs> if I'll ever watch it again, but I guess I'm glad I watched it. Fair enough. <laughs> because, you know, Tom Baker. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, it's something that I... 
it also I think made me also watch more movies on my own this year too. Right. That that contributed a little bit to seeking out some things that you know after I watched after I would watch something I might go back and uh, uh, watch something else. I mean um, ha- after having watched, uh, um, I'm trying to think of what I was going to say, but um, hmm. You're going to go back and watch. Uh oh well no I guess hmm I guess the I guess my well watching Julius Caesar probably maybe want to check out more Brando stuff even though I didn't really quite yeah um but I did watch uh, the Listen to Me Marlin uh, documentary a little bit oh yeah um Listen to Me Marlin I think that's a pretty good place to end it yeah but before we go we got to talk about what we're doing next season okay for. For those of you who might be curious about what this next year is going to portend, uh, we have a fairly crazy idea in store, uh, which uh, you know some of you may think is absolute madness, but we at the Wages of Cinema thrive on such insane ideas. Besides, this is not madness. It's Sparta. So <laughs> here's what we're going to do. Now, do you want to give a little bit of background to how we got this idea? There's a bit of a background. we gotta got to acknowledge the source. Uh, Matt Sloan of uh, Welcome to the Basement mm-hmm. came up with this idea of really trying to absorb a film. When you watch a film, you don't always get what you need on the first viewing. So, in order to get the most out of it, to wring it dry yeah. like, a, like a lemon, you... Immerse yourself in a film. Yes, by over watching it. Over and over it, again. Yes, by watching it five times in a row, five days a week. It came out not, of... Not five uh, day, times in a day. You watch it once a day for five days. Yes, you... I think this came also, we should mention, from uh, when they were watching the movie Altered States. Right. And that's, that's where the idea originated. Yeah, because you have William Hurt going in day after day to the point where he finally pops out as an ape man. Yes. <laughs> and Sloan did this himself with the movie Bottle Rocket. He got had some pretty good insights from that, uh, and now we're gonna do it thirteen times each. Yeah, we're gonna each do this. Uh, we're gonna switch off episode to episode, so you'll hear you, you'll you'll hear me uh, talk about a movie that I watched five days in a row, and then you'll hear Andrew talk about a movie he watched five days in a row. All right, and uh, hopefully things like our lives won't get in the way. <laughs> Get out of my way, life. Yeah, and uh, it should be a very interesting exper- experiment in uh, immersing yourself. I'm sure that you know if if somebody works at a movie theater, they probably ha- they probably deal with this sort of thing. Maybe like if you have to clean up after a, a movie, you probably see the same ending like five times in a day. Right. You probably get sick of it. Uh, hopefully, we don't get sick of this, and we hope we you don't get sick of us. If you want to tell us what you think about. Anything that we talked about on the list or any of the other moves you talked about just in general, um, send us an email. Uh, we can be reached uh, at uh, wagesofcinema at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us on Twitter pretty easily enough at the handle Wages of Cinema. Uh, like our Facebook page so you can see uh, lots of uh, updates and uh, special little goodies that we post. Uh, you can also see our brand new logo, which is really fantastic. Uh, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes if you get the chance, and write us a review. We could use the uh, uh, good vibes. We, we, we're attention whores. <laughs> that, that's simple as that. Um, so, for The Wages of Cinema, I'm Jack. And I'm Andrew. And remember, The Wages of Cinema is death. 
Ah, we did it good that time. Like we're we're like a real like Simon. We're like a team, like Myrtle Lloyd and William Powell. And how?